professional tramp. His wardrobe represented the cast-off specimens of half a dozen fashions and eras. Two factories had combined their efforts in providing shoes for his feet. As you gazed at him, there passed through your mind vague impressions of mummies, wax figures, Russian exiles, and men lost on desert islands. His face was covered almost to his eyes with a curly brown beard that he kept trimmed short with a pocket knife and that had furnished him with his nom de route. Light blue eyes full of sullenness, fear, cunning, impudence, and fawning witnessed the stress that had been laid upon his soul. The saloon was small, and in its atmosphere the odors of meat and drink struggled for the ascendancy. The pig and the cabbage wrestled with hydrogen and oxygen. Behind the bar, Schwegel labored with an assistant whose epidermal pore showed no signs of being obstructed. Hot wienerwurst and sauerkraut were being served to purchasers of beer. Curly shuffled to the end of the bar, coughed hollowly, and told Schwegel that he was a Detroit cabinet maker out of a job. It followed as the night the day that he got his schooner and lunch. Was you acquainted uh, maybe met Heinrich Strauss in Detroit? asked Schwegel. "'Did I know Heinrich Strauss?' repeated Curly affectionately. "'Why, say, Bo, I wish I had a dollar for every game of pinochle me and Heine had played on Sunday afternoons.' More beer and a second plate of steaming food was set before the diplomat. And then Curly, knowing to a fluid dram how far a con game would go, shuffled out into the unpromising street.' And now he began to perceive the inconveniences of this stony southern town. There was none of the outdoor gaiety and brilliancy and music that provided distraction even to the poorest in the cities of the north. Here, even so early, the gloomy, rock-walled houses were closed and barred against the murky dampness of the night. The streets were mere fissures through which flowed gray wreaths of river mist— as he walked, he heard laughter and the clink of coin and chips behind darkened windows, and music coming from every chink of wood and stone. But the diversions were selfish. The day of popular pastimes had not yet come to San Antonio. But at length Curly, as he strayed, turned the sharp angle of another lost street and came upon a rollicking band of stockmen from the outlying ranches, celebrating in the open in front of an ancient wooden hotel. One great roisterer from the sheep country, who had just instigated a movement toward the bar, swept Curly in like a stray goat with the rest of the flock. The princes of kine and wool hailed him as a new zoological discovery, and uproariously strove to preserve him in the diluted alcohol of their compliments and regards. An hour afterward, Curly staggered from the barroom, dismissed by his fickle friends, whose interest in him had subsided as quickly as it had risen. Full, stoked with alcoholic fuel and cargoed with food, the only question remaining to disturb him was that of shelter and bed. A drizzling, cold Texas rain had begun to fall, an endless, lazy, unintermittent downfall that lowered the spirits of men and raised a reluctant steam from the warm stones of the streets and houses. Thus comes the norther, dousing gentle spring and amiable autumn with the chilling salutes and adieus of coming and departing winter. Curly followed his nose down the first tortuous street into which his irresponsible feet conducted him, at the lower end of it, 
On the bank of the serpentine stream he perceived an open gate and a cemented rock wall. Inside he saw campfires and a row of low wooden sheds built against three sides of the enclosing wall. He entered the enclosure. Under the sheds many horses were champing at their oats and corn. Many wagons and buckboards stood about with their teams' harnesses thrown carelessly upon the shafts and doubletrees. Curly recognized the place as a wagon yard, such as is provided by merchants for their out-of-town friends and customers. No one was in sight. No doubt drivers of these wagons were scattered about the town seeing the elephant and hearing the owl. In their haste to become patrons of the town's dispensaries of mirth and good cheer, the last ones to depart must have left the great wooden gate swinging open. Curly had satisfied the hunger of an anaconda and the thirst of a camel, so he was neither in the mood nor the condition of an explorer. He zigzagged his way to the first wagon that his eyesight distinguished in the semi-darkness under the shed. It was a two-horse wagon with a top of white canvas.